Hi, I'm Mark Priestley. After a life spent in the elite environment of the Formula One pit lane learning how to win, this podcast aims to bring that elusive, high-performance culture into your daily lives. Today we're talking attention to detail, something that Formula One teams are extraordinarily good at. But like all behaviours in life, people operate at different levels, and no matter how good you or the people around you think you are, F1's taught me that there's almost always scope to level up. Welcome to Pit Lane Life Lessons. Talk about how Formula One teams are so successful. Tiny things, but you only find those tiny things when you look for them. Of course, there's only one winner in every Grand Prix, so for everybody else, you haven't won, so it could be deemed that's, that's a failure. Welcome back, everybody. Thank you so much for joining me again. I really appreciate it, as always. And before we get into today's topic, I would love to gently remind you to like, subscribe, follow, rate and review this podcast. However it is you're watching or listening, it makes a huge difference to me. So just a very quick rating and a couple of words of review or a subscribe and a comment on YouTube. They really mean the world to me and they help me to share this message further and wider. So I would appreciate just taking that moment of your time to do that. Thank you. Now let's get into it. Attention to detail. Something, as I said, that Formula One kind of has running right throughout its very DNA. Something that seems quite an obvious thing on many levels to be successful in whatever industry or area of life you're operating in. Attention to detail will surely help you get there, surely, won't it? Well, I mean, it will, is the truth, is the very quick, short answer to that. But what I've learned from my time inside the world of Formula One is that it can help you on that journey, but it can also hinder you if you get it wrong. And I'll go on to explain exactly what I mean. Formula One has this very, very high baseline standard. So attention to detail is in everything that everybody does right throughout the industry. That means that if you want to use attention to detail to stand out from the crowd, you've got to be at a pretty spectacular level. And that's exactly what happened to me at my team, McLaren, within Formula One. Because McLaren always has, certainly throughout my time in the sport, under the leadership of Ron Dennis, done exactly that. Used attention to detail as its USP. And as I said, because of the baseline level of everything around them in that industry, to do that, to stand out, to differentiate yourself through attention to detail, tells you quite a lot about just how obsessive that attention to detail needs to be to do that. Now, there were times when Ron's obsession with attention to detail, I'm sure, crossed over into the unhealthy side of the spectrum. There are definitely times when that obsession meant that it caused us difficulty, that it maybe lost us some opportunities. Maybe it led to some failures on our behalf, whereas actually all everybody was trying to do was succeed. So there are some pitfalls of all of this, which I'll go into in a moment as well. But the levels that you need to understand that McLaren went to because of Ron Dennis were out of this world. And to give you a very quick example, Ron Dennis is the guy who has the gravel on his own driveway taken up to be cleaned, to be washed before it's put back down again so that it never looks dirty. That's Ron Dennis. <laughs> it naturally continued from Ron's personal life 
into his business life and into that of McLaren and all of the people who worked at McLaren. So whilst I rocked up having got my dream job at McLaren as this young kid who'd worked my way up through the motorsport ladder to get there, I mean, I did not have the same level of obsession that Ron Dennis had. I mean, I thought I was pretty good on my attention to detail. I thought that's what actually got me to the position of being able to break into Formula One because motorsport as a whole, as an industry, needs to have attention to detail. That's how I had risen through the various ranks in the same way a driver climbs the ladder towards Formula One. I'd done the same thing using the skill set and the knowledge and my attention to detail in everything that I did to enable me to get towards the top. When I got to McLaren though, as I said in the intro, I realised that this is just a question of levels. And whilst I thought my level was good, I thought my level was high, it was not McLaren high. <laughs> For Ron Dennis, attention to detail was everything. And it manifested itself in all manner of different ways. The way the cars were presented, the garage was presented, the factory was presented, even the people who worked in that organisation were presented in the most pristine fashion. Appearance was everything to Ron Dennis because that appearance was the face of our organisation. It was the first impression that many people got of the McLaren organisation. And for Ron Dennis, there wasn't much more important than that. That was the foundation of everything because that first impression could decide whether somebody wanted to do business with us, whether a sponsor wanted to partner with us, it could be whether a driver or some key personnel want to come and work with us. Because that first impression when somebody walks through the doors or sees anything to do with the McLaren company, well, they get that immediate impression of immaculate presentation, of elite professionalism. And if you are the sort of person that wants to be involved, wants to be associated with that kind of environment, because that first impression gives off an indication of how that company does its business in a way of elite professionalism, striving for perfection, to be the very best at every single thing that we did. Well, of course, other companies, other blue chip companies, sponsors and partners, key people want to be part of that because they think it's going to lead on to success. And of course, in McLaren's case, it has done on numerous, numerous occasions. When I got into Formula One, when I got my job at McLaren, in fact, even long before I got my job, when I went for the interview at McLaren and walked through the doors of that amazing factory that I had only ever dreamt of setting foot inside one day. And I did set my foot inside that factory whilst I was terribly nervous on the day of my interview. The thing that jumped out at me, the thing that I will never forget, the thing that still stands out in my mind is the immaculate attention to detail of the way that business looked. It was simply at that stage an industrial estate. It was a unit on an industrial estate in Woking, uh, somewhere in the south of England. It wasn't an impressive place, but stepped through the doors and my goodness, it was impressive. The attention to detail leapt out at me the second the doors opened. Immaculately presented racing cars hung on the wall in this incredible display perfectly arranged flowers on the desk, everything spotlessly clean, cushions on the little chairs and sofas in the reception area arranged to perfection, magazines laid out on the table in perfectly ordered fashion. 
everything was perfect. And it hit me like a train when I walked through the door. You couldn't help but notice it. And of course, that was absolutely deliberate. The fact that it was the first thing that I noticed when I stepped through those doors, the fact that it's still something that sticks in my mind today is exactly the reason that Ron Dennis made it that way. Because if I was noticing those things, everybody else was noticing those things too. If you're a prospective client and you walk through those doors, the second you walk through the door, you have an impression of what that company or organisation is like and how they operate. And everything around that reception area, that first impression, tells you that that company is on a constant strive for success and perfection. When I got my dream job, when that dream came true and I did get to work inside that factory, it was actually some time before I ever got to see Ron. He was this enigmatic character that I'd sort of seen on TV that was inspirational or inspiring to me that I looked up to and I couldn't wait to meet. But it was weeks before I ever saw him. And then one day I was in the race bays or the test team bays in that factory and we saw Ron coming all the way from the other side of the building. We could see him coming, walking our way. Now, the panic that set in amongst my now new colleagues was very telling because instantly when they saw him coming, they burst into action to sweep things off the side of the cupboards, to shove them away behind cupboard doors, to clean things up, wipe down the sides, make sure their own appearance was as good as it could be. Were they dirty? Was their shirt looking rough and, and untucked? Were there cups on the side that shouldn't be there? Everything was very quickly switched into Ron mode. And that was because they knew the very high expectations that Ron had when he arrived in our area. They knew that things had to be as close to perfect as they could be as Ron walked past, even if he was just walking past. Because if he'd walked past those test bays and continued on his journey without saying anything, still, you would know that Ron had noticed and probably you'd get some kind of message come through later on from the team manager. And at sometimes it was really frustrating because I felt almost like I was spending more time on certain occasions cleaning my desk or my office space or my workshop bays, putting things away, tidying things up. I felt like I was putting more time into that than actually making a racing car go quicker, which was surely the ultimate focus of what we were doing. But it was only years later, really, in reality, it was only once I really understood the reasons behind Ron's almost insane levels of attention to detail that I was able to actually buy into that, that I was able to then lead others into buying into that process because I understood why he was doing it. He was doing it because those first impressions absolutely do matter. The role of a Formula One team, on one hand, seems very obvious. You're designing and building and manufacturing and operating two Formula One cars that need to get between the lights going out and the chequered flag as quickly as possible. I mean, that's the most, the most simplest form. That's the bit that the public get to see. But the Formula One team is also a relatively big business. And because it's a business, it has to operate on many other aspects, on many other levels than the bit that you see on TV on a Sunday afternoon. We have to entice investment into our organisation. We have to win over fans and sponsors and attract the right people into our organisation to be better. 
We have to appease shareholders. We have all sorts of factors going on in the organisation that are behind closed doors, just like any body or any business. This is exactly the same for you and I today as it was for McLaren as a business back then. We have our public facing roles, if you like, the bit where we turn up at the office and we sit at our desk and we go through the motions of whatever our actual role is, our daily routine. Behind the scenes, of course, we're trying to probably manage a family. We're trying to make sure there's food in the cupboards for when we have to make dinner when we get home. We're trying to manage kids and their schedules. Maybe we've got pets. Maybe there are partners, romantic partners, friends that all need some of our attention. So there's always more going on than just the physical actions that you go through in your daily routine. Ron's unwavering belief was that if we wanted to attract the right people into our organisation, if we wanted to partner up with the right companies or sponsors, technical partners, if we wanted to attract those people to our organisation and stop them effectively going next door to somebody else in the pit lane, we were going to do that with the one thing that we already did better than any other team in Formula One, our attention to detail. It was our USP. We were so good at it because of the values that Ron had instilled in everybody that nobody else could possibly be going to the levels that we were going to. Now, because of that, it was something we could use to our advantage. And that first impression, that appearance, was just one element of what Ron focused his attention to detail or our attention to detail on. Because, quite rightly so, and this again applies to you and I today, first appearances, well, they matter. They make a difference. We always say, don't we, don't judge a book by its cover, but human behaviour tells us that we absolutely do that. We do it all the time, consciously and subconsciously. We judge books by their covers. We make a snap judgment based on whatever information we have at any given moment. And in the very first moments of meeting somebody or coming into contact with a business or organisation, we have very little information. The very first piece of information is often the way somebody looks, what we see when we walk through the doors of an organisation. How does the the foyer, the lobby of your business. Look, what impression does it give off? If you run a shop, what does your shop front say about your organisation? What have you got in the window? How's it dressed? That's the first piece of information that lots of people will get of your business. If they like what they see in that shop window, maybe they'll come inside. But if they don't like what they see or it doesn't give off the right impression, they'll keep walking. In terms of Formula One, it was exactly the same. We were trying to entice people to come and work with us and partner with us in our Formula One team to set us up financially so that we could then invest that money, of course, in making the car go quicker. The whole thing was intrinsically linked together. If you saw a shot on the television on a Sunday at the Grand Prix of the inside of the McLaren garage, it would always look as close to immaculate, as close to perfect as it could be no coincidence. If you're walking down the Formula One pit lane amongst 10 Formula One garages that all look to the naked eye pretty perfect, you will still have your head turned towards that McLaren garage because they've gone to extra levels. That's always been the case. That was the thing that was frustrating at times for us to be part of, to have to do, to have to learn to do. But when you appreciate why that's happening, 
you can understand that it can make a difference. Because if you're the CEO or the chief marketing officer of a huge blue chip company that might be on a fact-finding mission, fact-finding, fact-gathering mission at a Formula One Grand Prix, looking for somewhere to place your investment in that pit lane, well, you can't help but be drawn towards McLaren because of that insane attention to detail. And if that's something that appeals to your organisation because it's perhaps one of the values that you have, if it triggers something in you that says, all right, that organisation, well, they are the ones that are ultimately going to be successful, whether it's today, next week, or in a year or two's time, look what they're doing. Look at the levels they're going to. That will translate into success. And I want to be part of that. That's how it works. It's exactly the same in real life. You know, there are countless examples of this happening in terms of social settings, social interactions with people. If you're sat across the bar from somebody or in a nightclub and you look across and you see somebody that you you might be attracted to, you might like the look of. Well, that first impression, that tiny first piece of information that they have chosen to project that day through what they're wearing or how they've done their hair, maybe if they've done makeup or chosen not to do makeup, how they're sitting, how they're, whether they're smiling, whether they're looking bubbly and fun. Those tiny details, whether we like to admit it or not, like to think it or not, help us to make that immediate snap judgment. It's the only bit of information we have in that very first moment to make a judgment like that. And it could be the difference between us getting up and walking across that bar to say hello, to introduce ourselves. Now, those tiny decisions when we walk over and maybe at that point we start to gather more and more information and we start to refine our opinion. But that moment in the beginning where you made the decision to stand up and walk across that bar, trivial though that may sound, those decisions have the potential to impact the rest of your life. That person could end up being your life partner forever. A huge consequence of the decision that you made based on a tiny piece of information, a first impression that you picked up from somebody that you saw across the other side of a room. Now, I'm certainly not saying that we should be focusing everything on appearance, that that's the most important thing, because clearly it isn't. And I certainly wouldn't want to give off that impression. There is so much more to forming relationships and bonds and all of those things. But I'm talking in terms of that first impression, if you want to create the right first impression because it suits your needs, your business or your life, putting some attention to detail in how you create that first impression, what that first impression looks like, can really make some kind of significant difference. It may be small, but it can still be significant. In our Formula One sense, in terms of the way we present ourselves as a team, in terms of our uniform, in terms of the way the cars and the garage are presented, create a first impression. Beyond that, of course, that might be the thing that gets somebody through the doors. It might be the thing that starts a conversation with a potential investor. Beyond that, the focus on attention to detail cannot stop. It has to continue because then the next level of details that we give off genuinely matter. They're now feeding into this person or this potential client's data bank of what they think of us. So the attention to detail has to go through everything that we do. And in McLaren, that's absolutely what happened. It never stops. It wasn't simply just about appearance. Appearance was huge to the point where it became frustrating. 
I'll give you a quick example. As a mechanic at McLaren, quite often in terms of my team kit, I was given a white shirt absolute nightmare who who wants a white shirt when you're a mechanic rolling around on the floor underneath the car taking wheels off a car that have just been out on the racetrack you are absolutely you're going to get dirty and yet we're in this environment where nobody's allowed to look dirty you've got to be pristine at all times and yet you've given me a white shirt (laughs) well the reality was and this was again something that I completely understood as time went on and bought into but in the beginning it was really frustrating When I got my white shirt dirty, which it was understood, of course, that was going to happen at the next convenient moment. When I got a second to myself, I had to pop out the back of the garage. I'd go to a great big box of brand new pristine white shirts and I'd put a new one on. And that had two impacts. That, first of all, made me feel pristine and as close to perfect as I could feel. It made me feel proud that I was representing the company in the right way, that I felt clean and fresh and ready to go again. But it also gave this impression of our organisation that we cared about everything that we did. The point of all of this was that if you ever see a photograph of the inside of that McLaren garage or TV coverage being beamed to hundreds of millions of homes all around the world, invariably the McLaren crew look pretty pristine. They look pretty immaculate. They are well presented. Their appearance has been thought about all throughout the weekend. That impression of the McLaren as a company, as an organisation, is one of elite professionalism, very deliberately. Now, when I say that attention to detail has to go way beyond appearance, I mean, obviously it does. I've just used that as one very clear and visual example of the way that Ron Dennis and McLaren used to use that to their advantage. But of course, it runs through everything. It runs through the way the car is designed, how it's manufactured, the incremental gains that we make on making that car go hundredths of a second faster, lap by lap, by focusing on the most minute details that you can imagine. Details that seem frustratingly small for the amount of effort that goes into improving them. It's sometimes really frustrating being told that we've got to find a way to be better at this or that when we already think we're really, really good at it because we've put so much effort to that point of making it as good as it can be. Sometimes the the effort that has to go in seemingly doesn't justify the impact or the reward that you'll get back out of it. But that's the difference between McLaren and those people striving for ultimate success and those that are maybe not willing to go that extra mile. Because if you're willing to put all of that extra effort in, if you're willing to leave no stone unturned and delve deeper and deeper and deeper to a point where you know there is no way that your competitors can have been delving that deep into these same problems, you've immediately got an advantage. And as you go deeper and deeper, the rewards become smaller and smaller. You're looking for tinier and tinier gains. And yet sometimes the effort required for those tiny gains is still going up and up and up. The law of diminishing returns. And the point of all of this is that if everybody in Formula One is doing this, is looking for tiny, tiny gains, getting deeper and deeper into a problem, there will come a tipping point where one team, where some of your competitors will essentially give up on that strand of performance that they might be looking to improve upon. 
because they will deem that the reward that they're getting out is not worth this increased effort that has to keep going into it. And they will stop and perhaps they'll move their resource onto something else. The moment they stop, if you haven't stopped, you have created an immediate advantage for yourself. And that does not just apply to the designing and manufacturing of a Formula One car. That's a great analogy for life, because if we want to improve ourselves or we want to improve, you know, if we run a business, we want to improve it. If we want to improve the relationship with people in our family or a romantic relationship, if we want to improve the bonds that we have with teammates on a sports team, for example, the same thing applies. If we're looking for advantages over somebody else, if you want to be the best we can be, the best versions of ourselves or of our teams or of our organisations that we can be, you cannot stop, you cannot give up. No advantage, no improvement is too small. An improvement is an improvement. And when we continue to make these improvements step by step by step, of course, eventually they add up to something quite significant. Now, I talk about improving the Formula One car and the technical details, something Formula One is famous for, bringing updates to every Grand Prix that might make a car just a tiniest bit quicker around a lap. There was another area that's equally as important, but perhaps wasn't always seen to be equally as important. Pit stops, an area that I was involved in throughout my entire decade at McLaren's Formula One team. Pit stops were something that were definitely overlooked to some extent in favour of focusing all of our attention to detail on the car because it was the car that ultimately was going to be driving around the track. The car was the thing that had to go out and face-to-face compete with another car that another team had designed and manufactured themselves. So we should focus everything on the car, make the engine faster, make the gearbox quicker to change gear, make the aerodynamics more efficient make the car lighter by a couple of grams here or there. And those things all made a significant difference to performance. Of course, they needed our attention to detail. But the point was, everything needed our attention to detail. And pit stops were no different. Pit stops were intrinsically a part of the Grand Prix. They could affect the outcome. We, as members of that pit stop crew, could affect the outcome of a Grand Prix. And I remember a day when Ron Dennis turned to me and my pit stop colleagues and said, guys, we need to find a way to be better at pit stops. And I will hold my hands up and say my reaction and probably the reaction of many of my colleagues at the time was one of some arrogance where we were of the opinion that we were already the best at pit stops in Formula One. We'd been leading the way for some time in terms of how quick we could do them, It was about four seconds was the average. On a great day, we could get a pit stop with four wheels and tyres done back in my day of close to three seconds. But on average, it was probably closer to four. But that's as quick as anybody else could do it. We were class leading in that regard and had been for quite a long period of time because we thought we put a huge amount of attention to detail and focused on improving all the various areas of our pit stop. So when Ron said to us, right, we've got to find a way to be better. I admit my reaction was, what are you talking about, Ron? How on earth, first of all, why do we need to be better? Because we are already the best. And secondly, we're talking about an event here that lasts for no more than four seconds. How do you go about improving on that? That's blisteringly quick. 
And all Ron turned around, well, he turned, Ron said two things to me. He said, first of all, he said, it's in the details, which is kind of what Ron replied to a lot of challenges like this. And he was absolutely right, of course. It's in the details. Look deep enough into the details of whatever challenge or problem you're facing, you will find a solution. You will find a way to improve it and make it better. And the second thing that he said, which was a bit of a game changer for me, which really empowered me to feel part of this process, was he said, look, I can't tell you how to be better at pit stops. He said, I've never done a pit stop in my life. Well, not for many, many years. He said, the only people that can tell me how to get better at this four second event are the people doing the four second event. You guys, you're the experts. And that detail that Ron had casually dropped in, I'm sure very deliberately dropped in to that conversation, changed the way I thought about this because that detail that he had just dropped in made me feel important. It made me and my colleagues feel empowered, made us feel like experts, like our experience and our knowledge of all of this specific niche area was being valued. There was nobody more experienced than us. And so Ron, the company, this organisation of McLaren was now tapping into the resource that was those people around that pit stop crew. Any company, your biggest, your best, your your most fulfilling resource is quite often the people within their organisation. And I've said this before, if we don't tap into those people, we are missing a huge chunk of resource, of knowledge base that we should be tapping into. And by Ron understanding that and just dropping that little tiny detail into that conversation, a couple of words changed the way we all thought about it. And of course, we then went away empowered, chests puffed out with this competitive mindset that we, of course, all had. And we took it on as a challenge. Yeah, do you know what? He's absolutely right. We will focus on some even finer details and we will manage to get better than four seconds. We'll get better than three seconds. Let's see how far we can take this. Let's do a McLaren job on these pit stops. And so we went away and we focused down to the most crazy, ridiculous levels of attention to detail on every single element of the Formula One pit stop. And when I say the event lasts for a small handful of seconds. It does. But when you break that down and explode it into the tiny little fragments of those seconds, you can really look in fine detail of what everyone's doing, how they're doing it, why are they doing it a certain way. And we did exactly that. We used the things that we already did very well, things like data collection. We rigged the individuals around that pit stop crew together with the equipment up with sensors all over it so that we could drill down and create data sets for every single one of the thousands of pit stop practices that we ever did. We used slow motion cameras on the overhead gantries to focus down on individuals around that crew, play their motions back in super slow motion. Perhaps it could be that in the early part of that four seconds, the guy that's taking the tire off on the right rear side of the car Maybe in the early part of those four seconds, he's a little bit quicker than the guy doing the same job on the left hand side. And if he is, we can focus down that we can go frame by frame and see, is it about his positioning? Has he got his foot in a different place that maybe enables the wheel gun man to be a bit a bit, bit quicker onto the wheel nut? You know, when he drags the tire off, does he move it off in a slightly different movement or motion to the guy on the other side that might be slightly more efficient? Does he allow the guy putting the next wheel on to get in a little bit quicker because of where he goes once he's got the wheel taken off? 
those tiny details that you would otherwise miss if you just watch a pit stop can make reasonably significant differences. And of course, if you go around the entire car in that level of attention to detail, those tiny differences that you start to find just minuscule, you begin to add them all up and it can create something quite powerful. One really simple example of this that I always talk to people about that I think is a real nice way to show the levels that we went to is the idea of a front jack in Formula One. If we think about a modern front jack, that front jack that we use today, it's very different to the front jacks before we went through this process. There used to be a really simple steel frame with a plate that went under the front wing. As the car stopped, the front jack man would lean back on that handle, which would cantilever the front wheels off the ground, and then the guys would change the wheels. When the wheel gun man had zipped the nut back on and the wheel nut was tight, he'd take his hand off the gun, he'd raise it in the air to signify that his wheel nut was tight. The front jack man would be holding the car up in the air on that jack. He'd be looking constantly left and right, back and forwards, until he sees two hands in the air. At that moment, he knows both front wheels are tight. He can then lower the car back down and then move out the way. Now, when we broke down just that tiny part of a pit stop, that tiny element, we began to realise there are a huge number of areas that we were missing. We were missing opportunities in. And so now what you see across the board, not just at McLaren, because this filtered across the entire industry, it raised the game in terms of pit stops to what we have today. But now the front jacks are much more complex pieces of kit. They still go underneath the front wing and the guy still pulls back on a handle to lever the front wheels off the ground. When the wheel gun men have changed their wheels, instead of now taking their hands off that wheel gun to raise it in the air to signify the nuts tight, which can take a few hundredths of a second, maybe a tenth of a second. Well, now we have a little button on the handle of that gun, which when pressed illuminates a light to say that that wheel nut is now tight. The front jack man is no longer having to constantly look left and right to see when both of those front wheels are tight because once both of those front wheels are tight, once both of those buttons have been pressed, it triggers not only those lights, but it triggers the system to automatically drop the jack plate. But what's happened in the meantime of all of this happening is the front jack man has been able to pull a little lever on the handle of his jack whilst the front wheels are being changed, which breaks a swivel joint halfway down the jack handle and allows him to step out the way of the car whilst the jack plate is still under the front wing and lifting the wheels off the ground. Another operation that no longer has to be done once the, now the wheels are tight and the car's back on the floor. So the moment the wheels are tight, the buttons are pressed, the system automatically drops the jack on the floor, drops the car on the floor, and all the front jack man has to do, no longer standing in front of the car already, has to yank the jack out of the way. Now, just that tiny part of the process shows you a number of significant, well, tiny but significant improvements just in that tiny little part of the process. The wheel gun men are using laser positioning to get their guns in the right place before the car turns up so they don't have to move that gun up or down. Up or down. They're already at the right height before the wheel arrives in the pit stop box. We redesigned not only the pit stop equipment, to be better in every single way, but we redesigned the car to suit the pit stop equipment. One should be more important than the other. We had to design them together. We had to design in conjunction with the car, the axles, the positions of the jacks and the mounting points, and how that kit would all work together with each other. They had to be interactive. They had to be designed from the same drawing office, by the same people. There had to be a dialogue about how these pieces of equipment 
were going to end up being used. Something we hadn't really focused on before. Tiny, tiny details. The end result, of course, as you know if you follow the sport today, is that we transformed pit stops from something closer to four seconds to it not being unusual to dip underneath two seconds today. It's an incredible transformation where attention to detail has been at the heart of every single part of it. McLaren led that change. McLaren were class leading when it came to attention to detail. But as I said right at the beginning of this podcast, McLaren and Ron Dennis didn't always get it right. That obsessive level of attention to detail didn't just have positive effects. It didn't just lead to success. We had some problems along the way, which I can attribute to that same obsessive level of attention to detail. And what I'm talking about is sometimes Ron Dennis was so obsessed, so focused on things like appearance, on things like the way that we behaved and operated, the way the outside world saw us. So focused on that, that we perhaps at times forgot some of the more basic details of how we should be running our organisation. And this is something that is so common. When I go around the world talking to organisations about how they can be better, how they can be using attention to detail to drive success, I always tell them it's so important before you think about any of those finer details to get the basic details right, to build from the ground up, to get the fundamentals of your business, of your operation, or if it's you, the fundamentals of your life right before you put time and energy into those tiny, minute details that can make the last bit of difference, that can set you aside from the competition. If you go straight in, barreling in, focusing on those tiny things, you will undoubtedly miss the core, fundamental, basic details that are your foundation for building an organisation or for building a successful career or a successful relationship. And it is the same in relationships. Two people in a relationship have to get the basics of that relationship right. It has to be a solid foundation before anybody starts working on finer details, on fine things that might start to improve your life or to push things out onto a limb or to experiment in new areas. If you haven't got a solid rock underneath all of that, it will just collapse. And at McLaren, this is what I'm talking about. Ron Dennis, at certain times, put so much energy, put so much pressure on the people inside that business to operate this elite level that came very naturally to him, that he missed the fact that the thousand people that we had working in our organisation weren't all like Ron Dennis. I wasn't like Ron Dennis. I didn't, it didn't come naturally to me to be that obsessive. And I'm a person who I thought had great attention to detail, but I had my eyes opened when I walked into that McLaren factory. Most people didn't find it easy to be like Ron Dennis. And yet he had an unwavering expectation of that that's how people should be. If he found it easy to be like that, if he found it easy to be that meticulous and forensic about everything he did, well, why on earth couldn't everybody else? It took a considerable amount of time for me to buy into all of that, to buy into that way of thinking. It only really came about once I fully understood the reasons behind it, the reasons why Ron was the way he was and the way, the reason why he wanted us to be the way he was. But I perhaps found it easier than a lot of other people. 
because in the moment, that way of working actually created a huge amount of frustration for people. It actually ended up creating some hostility between the workforce and Ron Dennis or between the workforce and the management. People had that same thought that I'd had early in my career where they thought, why on earth are we wasting time cleaning our workbenches every five minutes when we should be focusing on the car? I got this job because I'm good at working on racing cars. But the truth was that was a very small part of the process. And it always is. That is a tiny element of what we do as a Formula One team. As I said before, perhaps the most public element, but only a tiny element. If you, as an individual, put all of your effort into your appearance, into how you look, into doing your hair every morning, doing your makeup as perfect as it can be, making sure that your shirt is perfectly ironed before you go to work to an extreme level, polishing your shoes to an extreme level. If you do that to the levels that we were going to at McLaren, you'd probably be late for work most days. And on top of that, you're probably also missing some of the fundamentals like having a good hearty breakfast before you leave so that you're set up for the day saying hello to your children before you leave for work, giving your wife a cuddle, having a chat to your other half, to your husband, having conversations with the people around you, remembering that you're, as well as the person that has this job title when you get to the office, you're also a human. You're also a part of a family structure. And you have to look after those basic details just as much as you have to look after the finer details of maybe how you look. If you focus all of your intention on making your Instagram posts as perfect as they can be, filtering the hell out of a picture of yourself. That's probably missing some of the fundamentals of who you are. You might be giving off an impression of yourself that isn't true to reality. That if somebody bites on that little dangling piece of bait that you've you've dropped into the water through your Instagram post, post. if you're trying to meet somebody, if it's a projection of you to potential clients, if they pick up the phone, if they send you a DM and say, do you know what, I've seen your Instagram, perhaps I'd love to, to chat further about doing business with you. The effort that went into that Instagram post of creating this alternate reality of perhaps who you are because you were looking for such fine details of perfection in your own appearance, is that backed up by the basics, the fundamentals that you need to be putting the effort and the attention to detail in on a daily basis? Or is that person, when they do get to meet you, get over that first impression, going to be let down by a massive lack of substance, by a flaky foundation that lies beneath it? And are they actually going to want to do business with you once they do get over that first impression and that first meeting? the chances are they probably won't. And this was what was happening at McLaren during certain periods. We put so much attention to detail into the fine details that the workforce was growing more and more unhappy. They were becoming more and more dissatisfied and disillusioned within their roles in this organisation. They had got into Formula One dreaming of becoming world champions, of taking this team to the highest level they could. And yet, Underneath this perfect facade was a team that was far from perfect, a team that could not possibly be operating at the highest level that it should be or that it could be because there was disruption, there was disengagement amongst the staff. 
What Ron Dennis had failed to recognise was that these were a thousand humans, all individuals, all different. A very crucial and critical detail that he had missed. And it was only over time when we, in fact, I led this part of this change that we went through, recognised some of this dissatisfaction, some of these failures from a team perspective. It was only when I took this information to Ron Dennis that he began to appreciate that maybe he had taken his eye off the ball a little bit. Maybe he was too focused on the fine details, that actually the basics had been overlooked to some extent, both by him and the people around him. But the people around him had overlooked these details because there was so much pressure coming from Ron from above to focus on the finer details that they'd taken their eye off what was lying beneath. And that cascaded through the organisation. Because the people above them were so obsessive about these tiny appearance-based details, everybody else throughout the organisation was focused on just delivering that to the people above them, all the way up to Ron, that everybody from ground floor upwards began to lose track of what we were. A team, a team of people, brilliant, elite people, the best in our business. That's why we had all ended up at McLaren together, because we were the best, and yet as a collective, as a team, we were operating at a level which was actually far from our best. And only by recognising that and addressing it through a number of different means that I have talked about in other areas of this podcast series, did we begin to improve that, to get people rebonded back together, to focus on those basic details and almost go back to square one, get those right, build the team up, No organisation, no business can expect to come into the marketplace as a startup and immediately dominate or go for those tiny, finer details. You have to work your way from ground up, get the basics right, become good at what you do in all areas. And once you're good, you can start pushing to be brilliant. And once you're brilliant, you can then start to be pushing for that elite level. And even once you're elite, you need to continue pushing every now and again for that extra little tiny detail. But all the way through that process, you need to have a mechanism to keep checking in with yourself, checking in with your organisation. Are we still getting the basics right? We can all benefit from that kind of checking in with ourselves every now and again. Am I still being the person that I set out in life to be? Am I still doing the right things? Am I still being kind? Am I nice? Am I a nice person? Or has my judgment been clouded by some of these finer details that I've become obsessed with? When I look at my Instagram grid and pictures of myself, if that's what you post on there, does it actually reflect me? Or is this a creation that I have put up because of outside pressures, because of thinking that's how I needed to be? And if that's the case, have I actually lost track of who I really am? If that's true, if that's true of you, That's where you need to start. You go back and address who you are, what sort of person you are, what sort of business you run, how you operate as a business, how you operate within somebody else's business. Have you got all the basics right, which will then form a platform for you to then go on and fine tune the details that can make you the very best? If that's what you want, if you want to be the best If you want to be a success at something that you have set out to be a success at, you need to break that goal down into small chunks. It's like building a house. If you look at the idea of building a house, 
It's an enormous project. It's huge. It's almost unimaginable. At the start of that project, it seems massively daunting to be at a point where that house is finished and you can move in and be happy. But if you take that goal of building your dream house and you break it down into tiny chunks, it becomes less daunting. It becomes more manageable. You start with the foundations. You build a solid set of foundations that are going to last you forever. And then you start to look at what comes next. It's brick by brick. Putting one brick down is far less daunting than trying to look at building a wall. If you're climbing a mountain and you stand at the bottom and you look up towards the summit, that's an unimaginable target. It's so far away, it seems massively daunting. But if you focus on each step as an individual goal, finding the perfect foothold or handhold, and then when you found it, reach out for it, get your foot or your hand or your fingers perfectly into that hole so that you are solid. You've got a solid basis to step up and reach up and go for the next one. Piece by piece, things are less daunting. They're more achievable. They're more manageable. And also by focusing on the details of each individual step, you mitigate against risks of it going wrong because you're focusing on a tiny area. In Formula One teams, the teams have a number of mechanics working on each car, but each mechanic, whilst more than capable of working on every single part of that car, because that's what they've done most of their career building up towards Formula One. When they get to an F1 team, they get given a tiny section of that car to focus on. It's not because they're not capable of coping with anything else that that car can throw at them. It's because by focusing on a tiny area, you become an expert in that area become better than anybody else. And also you mitigate against mistakes. You mitigate against things going wrong because you've got less to focus on, but you can focus on it in more detail. If we look at life through that kind of lens, we have a much bigger chance of being less daunted by the challenges that come our way. We have a much bigger chance of seeing those challenges as manageable. And we have a greater chance of not making mistakes along the way. Ultimately, by choosing that kind of approach, focusing on details, but right from the ground up, getting the basic details right and building on those step by step to the point where we start looking for the finer, tiny details that can set us aside from the competition. The details that might seem ridiculous, but they're not ridiculous because if the people around you are not going to those levels, that's an advantage that you now have. You've created an opportunity to be better than them. If you're striving for success, whatever that looks like for you, this method will help you get there. So there we go. Three episodes now in the can, done. They are flying by. Thank you to all of those of you who've listened and sent messages. I really appreciate it. I'll come back to that in a moment. I want to respond to a couple of questions that I received after last week's risk-taking episode. Uh, but before I do that, what I'd love to do in every episode now is to go back after recording it around about a week later. So I recorded this attention to detail episode about a week ago. I like to come back, re-listen to it, reflect on what I said, see if there's anything I'd like to add or clarify from when I first recorded it. And when it comes to this one, there are a couple of points that I'm not sure came through clearly enough that I'd like to now just quickly address. One of those is the idea that attention to detail 
doesn't always have to look the way that it did at McLaren. Attention to detail doesn't mean that everybody should look like their house is spotlessly tidy or their business is spotlessly tidy, meticulously clean and uncluttered at all times. My own house is testament to that. Attention to detail means focusing on the details that are right for you. If your organisation doesn't necessarily need to project an image of meticulous perfection and tidiness and cleanliness, well then don't focus on those details. They're not the right ones for you to add value to your business. At McLaren, that was exactly where we wanted to go with it and exactly what Ron Dennis wanted to portray through our first appearance. But that was because it suited us. Attention to detail just means that you focus on the details that are right for you or for your business. If you're more creative, if you're a more edgy company, edgy business, focus on the details that project an image of what your company's like, the things that you want your potential clients to see. Depending on you as a person, focus on the details that you would like somebody to appreciate when they first come into contact with you. They may not be that you've got a pristinely ironed shirt with the buttons all done up perfectly and a tie done up to perfection. They may suit some people, but not others. So attention to detail just means getting things right the way you want them to be and focusing on those details until you get them right. And the other thing that I wanted to make sure was absolutely clear was when I talked earlier on in the episode around Ron Dennis's obsession with appearance and creating this environment for us to work in that was immaculate, spotless, perfect as the way that he saw it. It wasn't simply about the appearance because the other impact that it had, like when I touched on putting on a fresh, clean, brand new white McLaren shirt halfway through a race weekend because my previous one had become dirty. The impact that that has, the impact of us working in an environment that looks that way is also having an impact on the way that we operate. Because if you're surrounded by organised, meticulous, seeming perfection, you start to feel like you should be operating in that way. It can affect the way you behave. Your surroundings, your environment has an impact on the way that you behave. Just this morning, I sent my own kids straight back upstairs when they came down after waking up to go and make their beds, which I have to do 50% of the mornings <laughs> in any given week. It drives them mad, but I tell them consistently that the most successful people in the world make their beds in the morning. And it, they roll their eyes, it drives them crazy. But the truth is, if you start your day with Focus on the details that matter to you. Focus on being organised, on creating an environment around you that's organised. It sets you up to behave in that kind of manner. If you get out of bed and immediately make the bed before you even leave the room and go to the bathroom to brush your teeth, you've already achieved something. It's a really simple way of ticking a box within the first few seconds from your day beginning. And it creates a mindset of organisation, of ordered, non-chaotic behaviour. And if that's how you want to go through your day, achieving more and more things, of ticking more and more boxes, of doing things the right way, focusing on some of those tiny little details like making your bed can make a difference. 
those are the things I just wanted to wrap up off the back of the attention to detail episode. So I hope you've enjoyed this one. As ever, I'd love it if you send me a response, whether it's a comment on my social media channels, whether it's leaving a review in the App Store, something I would really appreciate, especially if you're listening on Apple Podcasts, the review system there, the rating system makes a huge difference to how far up the rankings this podcast is able to go. If you've got a moment, please just do that for me. That would be amazing. Now let's quickly look back at some of your responses from last week's episode on risk takers, taking risks in Formula One and how we could perhaps learn from that in the wider world. An episode that was really well received by you guys. So some of your messages literally filled my heart with joy that you are passing this on to other people in your organization, sharing it around friends and family. And even, as I said once before, passing this on to departments in your organization that might be able to disseminate it amongst other people in the team. That's amazing to hear. But the one question that continually came up after last week's episode that I have to address, if you remember, I talked about my two 10-year-old children and encouraging them to take a risk on how they interpreted an art brief. One of them chose to do this drawing of an apple, which was the perhaps most obvious interpretation of that brief, the one that almost every other kid in the class chose to do. The other, I managed to persuade to look at it differently, to go a lot more abstract and different in the way they interpreted the brief. And lots of you said, you didn't tell us what results he got. You didn't tell us how it was received by the teachers. Did his worst fears come true in that everybody laughed at him or the teacher said he got it wrong? And the answer to that question is absolutely not. It was very well received. The mark was great. You know, that was great in itself. Brilliant. But the most important thing, well, two things. First of all, the teacher wrote a comment underneath his work saying something along the lines of this was really interesting. Well done for thinking differently. And when he showed me that, that made my heart feel, it made my chest puff out, it made me feel proud. But the most important thing, the most important thing to come out of that process was that he learnt that he was able and free to take a risk in that situation. He had my backing to do that, he had my support to do that. If it had all gone wrong, I would have still been here in his corner to pick him up off the ground and he would have gone again. For me, that was one of the most important lessons. And also, Totally fine that my other 10-year-old child, I have twins, the other one wasn't necessarily so much of a risk taker. So wasn't so comfortable in taking a risk in that particular situation. That's also fine. I gave her the information, I gave her the advice and she chose to go a different way. I'm very comfortable with that. On another occasion, maybe she will take a risk and perhaps my son won't necessarily be the same way. Those are two twins that were born at the same time and yet have completely different characters. And that, I think, is one of the biggest points to come out of, well, all of this podcast series. No matter what kind of team or environment you work in or you live within, the people around us are all individuals and different and have to be treated that way. They've all got strengths and weaknesses and elements of their characters that may not be the same as ours, but may have value in all sorts of areas. And by working together, by combining the strengths and the weaknesses of the people within our team, we can all be way, way stronger together. I hope that's a message that filters through not just the episode that I did on teamwork, but all of these podcasts as we go forward. 
Anyway, I'm going to leave it there, but I want to thank you again for all of the time that you've taken to listen, to watch, whether you're watching on YouTube. The comments that I've had on YouTube have been brilliant. Thank you. I read every single one. I even respond to every single one that I can. So please don't think you're doing that in vain if you take the, a moment to do it. I appreciate it and I will respond wherever I can. One final call, if you can rate and review the podcast, share it around, tell your friends, send it to people, share it on social media. Anything like that is hugely positive for me. I'm massively grateful and I would really appreciate it. I hope you all have a fantastic week, guys. I'd love to hear from you in the meantime, but until then, I'll be back in a week's time on Wednesday with another episode. See you then. Bye-bye.